I'm Abby Kenny, and you are listening to Upzone. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of Upzone, a show where we take one big story from the news each week that touches the Strong Towns conversation, and we Upzone it. We talk about it in depth. I'm Abby Kinney, an urban planner from Kansas City, and today I am once again joined by my friend Chuck Marone, who has been on the road these days, very busy. So I'm glad that you could take some time and join me on Upzone this week. How are you doing, Chuck? I'm doing great. Thanks. Do we do we miss last week? I I remember I was on a plane. Yes. Okay. I think we were both just out of pocket all over the place yeah. last week and so yeah. yeah, sorry everybody. But yeah, we had a little bit of a hiatus these past couple of weeks. Yeah. It's it's very strange to be back on the road again. I've been doing this for like a decade and then obviously during the pandemic did not. And um, there's something that you miss when you're not out seeing places and talking to people that is kind of exciting to get back. But it's also it's also strange. You know, we're going to have to get back into coordinating things again because, <laughs> like, I'm going to be like next Friday, I'm going to be uh, in Dallas or something like that. So we, we got we have some coordination work to do, but we'll make it work. Yeah, we'll make it work. And I'll be yeah. out next week too. So we're actually going to have two people oh, doing upzoned. Two guest um, people. That aren't, yeah. So I think I, I have confidence. It's going to be great. So <laughs> I have a question for you before we get started today. Yeah. That I think is going to impact our whole entire conversation. <laughs> um, we're going to talk about legislation in a certain state. And I want I want you to say the name of that state. You want me to say the name of yeah, the state? Yeah, say the name of the state. Oh. Colorado? Yeah. I am a Minnesotan and I think Minnesotans say Colorado. <laughs> and How I do just I say it. Colorado. You say Colorado. Oh, Colorado. Yeah, Rado, and I say Rado. And I, <laughs> I I think that that's maybe like we rarely we very rarely, I think, I mean, maybe <laughs> the people listening will disagree with this, but I feel like very infrequently is there huge like linguistic divergences between you and me. But this is one where you you were talking about this thing and you're like in Colorado, Colorado. And I'm like, Colorado. you mean Colorado? Um, so I wonder, I, here's the question I have. If you are a, originally from Colorado, is it Colorado or is it Colorado? Like how would you say it if you were from Yeah, there? I'd like to know that. Well, you're closer to it, obviously, than I am. So I feel like you have a, like I would defer to you more than to my goofy, you know, Minnesota accent. Yeah, but, I don't know. I don't know. I have a little bit of a St. Louis accent. I don't I don't yeah. really know what that means um, and how it really differs from How do you Kansas say City? your state's name? Missouri? Yeah, Missouri. How, how why do people say Missouri like there's an a on the end? Oh, like that's just ridiculous I don't know. to me. Okay. I don't know. So we how would you say my <laughs> state's name? Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, you nailed it. That's how everybody in Missouri says it. Minnesota, Is that not how you, you know. say it? Yeah, that's exactly how we say it. <laughs> right. All right, go ahead. <laughs> All right. So as Chuck said, we are going to be covering um, an article about Colorado. It is called, A Proposed Rule Would Target Colorado's Polluting Road Projects. It is published in CPR News by Nathaniel Miner. 
So the Colorado Department of Transportation recently drafted a new rule that would require state and local governments to measure and potentially offset greenhouse gas emission impacts of transportation projects. So in this scheme, the local government entities would have preset greenhouse gas emission budgets and would be required to offset emissions if they exceed those budgets when implementing transportation projects. That's at least how I read it. So the emissions could be offset through the addition of clean projects. So that could be a transit service, it could be bicycle infrastructure, zoning decisions that enable density. So if these public entities do not meet those requirements and don't offset the the emissions, then the state may restrict the use of certain funds. And I think that's literally what what the piece of legislation or the rule says. It doesn't really say what funds, but certain funds. So this comes as the Colorado Department of Transportation is expected to receive billions of dollars of new funding from the state and likely a fire hose of new money from the federal government. The intent of this new rule would be to shift conditions that are currently enabling status quo infrastructure investment that would continue to spread Colorado's development pattern out further and further. The State Transportation Commission would consider public comments on the proposed rule through October 5th or 15th, sorry, until voting in November. So, you know, before we get into the critique, because we love to critique, I do want to be charitable and start with what is good about this kind of approach because. To me, it is an attempt to work within an established administrative system and shift some of the incentives that are currently favoring urban sprawl rather than more conservative growth. And by conservative, I don't necessarily mean that in the political sense, whatever that means, but in the sense that we ought to be conserving public resources as metropolitans experience market pressure and growth and are trying to accommodate growth and increased population. And this is something that the Front Range knows well. They've been growing like crazy for the past 10 years. So the current status quo pushes for just a crazy amount of public spending towards infrastructure expansion as a way of serving the market, which is ultimately very fiscally unproductive and promotes the kind of growth in carbon emissions, but also just growth and development patterns that is unproductive and you know leads to poor air quality and and ecological, more co- complicated second order effects. So I did want to kind of talk a little bit about maybe the things that are good about this approach and then get into kind of the strong town's perspective on this kind of approach, because I have a feeling there are ways to address issues of air quality and climate and energy use in a more bottom-up way. So maybe we'll start first with what's good about about Colorado's approach. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you I'm glad you framed it that way because as I'm reading this article and as I'm listening to you talk about it, I, I'm my gut reaction is like not positive. Let's start with the positives first. I think that emissions are a real problem. And I think that we should be working to reduce emissions. And I think that uh, anything that we can do, uh, let me let me paraphrase that. I think most things that we can do that would have a direct impact on reducing emissions are a good thing. So I, I think like we, we would have, if I'm sitting down with the people working on, you know, earnestly working on this legislation, I think that we would say we have goals that are 
you know, there's a Venn diagram overlap here where your goals and, and the goals that, that I would have or the goals that the Strong Dance movement would have would, would overlap. We all agree that, that, you know, we should have less greenhouse gas emissions and we should be striving to, to, to get to that. So beyond that, like, what do I think is good about this? I, boy, <laughs> tell me what you think, Abby. I like have like an allergic reaction to this kind of <laughs> framing and this kind of like approach, but I'm, I'm open to this being like a pragmatic, it, it's almost like you're, you're trying to graft a poison pill onto, you know, the system that you want to, if this is attempt to, let, let me, let me take us down to like branches either this is like an attempt to like insert a poison pill into a highway building, you know, and blow it up. Or this is like some, you know, like true believer hope that there's actually like an earnest bureaucratic process where, you know, non-politicized people would do a, a actual factual evaluation of things and reach conclusions that would change projects. If that's a belief, I find that belief naive. But but you know maybe you don't, and maybe there is like a practical sense. Maybe I'm too cynical. If it's the other one, I don't know. I mean, is that is that what you think it is? Like a poison pill? I I, I don't I don't know. Like I'm I'm not a politician, and I don't think like one. So I have a hard time seeing how this is advancing something. Yeah. So so the way that I kind of look at this, because they mentioned that with all this money printing and you know all this money potentially going into the state of Colorado to me this seems like kind of a, a proactive way to try to curb the status quo that will occur with just an incredible amount of money thrown at a transportation system and so this would be kind of one strategy of saying well you can't just add lanes to highways and expand forever. And and if you are going to add a lane to the highway, you, there needs to be at least some other, um, you know, other improvement, whether it's like a multimodal facility or transit facility, like at least putting something that's better into that investment. So that's kind of the way that I'm seeing it is, is it's a way of trying to work within this system that already favors just growth, 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 and trying to insert a couple of things that are positive. So when I when I see programs like this, the first issue that I have with them is this idea that we are able to measure all of these things and in good faith say that like this is a a rational and non-politicized <laughs> measurement. Um, the article doesn't really expand on this, but I am curious about the methodology for measuring emissions and offsets and how accurate can you really be because metropolitans not just cities but metropolitan areas are complex organisms you know individuals move around in certain ways for all kinds of reasons and so that's something that I can't really wrap my head around and I have a lot of skepticism around like, is this something that is really going to make an impact or is it just a way of getting some better facilities worked into these huge amounts of money that are going to be thrown at transportation? Um, so that's kind of the the first level of skepticism that I have, that it's kind of more about getting funding for things other than simply expanding 
highways <laughs> and throughout, you know, primarily throughout the front range where the growth is happening. There's a modeling component of this, you know, where you'd have to, okay, if we're doing this highway, we're going to model. And I don't mean like a model, like a supermodel. I mean like a model, like- um, Like a numbers you know, model. Yeah. Like you're sitting with numbers and doing projections. And so you're saying- you know, here's our assumption on how many vehicles are going to use this. We're horrible at doing those types of models. Uh, here's our assumptions about future electrification of the auto, you know, system. We're horrible at those models as well. So you, you're making this like intergenerational investment that could, you know, whatever you project could be, will be almost surely wildly off based on changes in technology, changes in, you know, uh, use patterns, you're also like projecting different development patterns that may or may not, you know, you, you don't control as a state DOT. Those are reactions that locals make and you, you can influence them to some degree by agreeing to put an interchange here or there or what have you, but you, you can't really direct. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't even know how you would pretend to like model that. Yeah. I, I don't know how you pretend to have like good data. So it, it, it does seem to me like, what it is, is like a, this is going to sound really cynical, but like a negotiating ploy to get money spent on the good. Because it says, you know, if you're going to have a negative impact, you either have to fix that negative impact or or you can just spend a bunch of money on other things like transit and sidewalks and, uh, and bike paths and stuff like that. And it, this does, I mean, it seems like a circuitous and kind of disingenuous way to get towards funding something you would like better than just like funding something you would like better. Yeah. So, the, and, and how are the outcomes being measured? And, and can you tie the specific bike facility that, that offset these and were intended to offset these emissions? And how do we, how do we measure that the bike facility that was added as part of this project actually had those outcomes and that's the thing with with these kinds of and I understand it's like <laughs> we're talking about such large systems and it, I just I have a hard time understanding how how do we know that this is something that solves a problem you know a big problem that we're trying to solve because it's it seems more political I guess I would say than like a like like an actual solution to a problem. Right. This doesn't seem like workable legislation. Let let me give you one uh example cuz when it comes to environmental laws, uh I'm one of these people who uh kind of everybody disagrees with because on the one hand, I agree with like the premise, like I want clean water, I want better air, I want less environmental destruction, I want less habitat fragmentation. Like there's a whole bunch of environmental goals that I agree with. I'm really, really cynical on the process that we use, particularly when we get into these project analysis, environmental review type things, because I, I think what we get is a lot of process and we actually don't get outcomes that are rather easy to achieve if we agree on the outcomes. The problem is we don't do the work of agreeing, you know, getting to consensus on the outcomes. So we muck up the process to try to, you know, use the internal politics of project evaluation to get different outcomes. I don't know if you know this or not, but the 
well, I'll just take the state of Minnesota, but I, I do think this is nationally, but I could, I could be wrong about that. In the state of Minnesota, we have uh, requirements for noise uh, thresholds. So if you have a certain amount of decibels of noise, uh, we have thresholds for what is considered an, an environmental damage. They're measured in terms of amount and persistence. So if you have a really excruciatingly loud noise, you're not able to do that at all. Like there's a there's deep limits on that. We have a military base, Camp Ripley, near my house, and they shoot off artillery, and they're limited to what they can do because it literally is really loud and it shakes your house. But there's also thresholds for like persistent noises. So let's say there's a constant background noise. That's going to be far less than that one instant noise. There's, it's going to be lower, like a lower threshold, because it would just be like a constant background humming noise. Every highway exceeds that background humming noise threshold. They all are considered like, I mean, with any appreciable amount of traffic volume, they're all considered uh, it, you know, damaging the environment. They exceed the threshold that we allow you know, a business that opens up to exceed or anything else. They, they all are above that. We have chosen to ignore that for the most part. Sometimes we will put in noise barriers if we're, you know, running a highway through the middle of a neighborhood or if we're doing something in a new place where we're expanding traffic volumes. But for the most part, we just ignore that. You know, we 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 ignore it. We pretend it doesn't exist. And we pretend it doesn't exist or we'll note it and say, you know, not a big deal um, because it's really not operable. Like we can't, we we want the highway, we want the traffic, we want the building. And I say we, the royal we, like society has decided we're going to invest in highway transportation, we're going to build this stuff. And so, you know, strictly adhering to this environmental rule we've created is really deleterious to that. And so we choose to ignore it. We we literally like pretend it doesn't exist within our environmental review processes, the process we've set up. I, I ask a question, why? Why have we why have we chosen to ignore this? Why do we pretend it doesn't exist? And the answer is because it's really inconvenient. If we were to try to follow this and deal with it, we would have to put noise barriers along every highway or we would have to dramatically low, you know, add a whole bunch of vegetation or we'd have to dramatically lower the speed or the volume of vehicles in order to meet that sound threshold. And we won't do that. And so it, it just becomes one of these things that you could say is on the books and is just kind of silly and we ignore it. Okay. Why are we serious about, I'll ask this in two ways. Why are we serious about climate change or, you know, greenhouse emissions now? And we're not, we're, you know, we're not serious about these other things that are, are, you know, environmental laws. Like what, what makes this one one we're serious about or not? And if we are really serious about it is, is, is embedding it into what I think is like a backwards arcane process of environmental reviews or project review, why is that the best way to go about solving this problem? It seems like a really ineffective way to actually deal with the issue if the issue is climate mitigation and lowering greenhouse gases. This seems like the, the most bureaucratic, least effective way to get at that problem. Yeah. Well, it, it to me, it it seems like one of those political solutions and it's you know, I'm so cynical about this kind of stuff. It it just, it, I always wonder, you know, how does something actually solve the problem and how is it being measured moving forward? And, you know, is this an opportunity for somebody to 
pat themselves on the back and then we walk away and feel really good that we're saving the earth or are we truly improving how we situate ourselves on the earth you know are we truly learning how to live live within the ecosystem that we're in i mean we had this this conversation last year when we were talking about forest fires and you know there was this article that put out by a scientist saying we know how to solve forest fires why won't anyone listen um and you know it's like behind every big problem there's like someone who who's very frustrated and knows how to solve the problem and nobody's listening to them because it's not politically advantageous and it it's like it, it doesn't it doesn't fit the current political spirit so no one wants to listen to uh the frustrated smart person who like actually understands nuance of these kinds of issues and so that's kind of my my cynical perspective on something like this the the other thing and and it, this is something that I wanted to, to talk about because I appreciated that they included an element of development pattern in this conversation yeah, because right. like you know I visit Colorado at least once a year Colorado Colorado at least once once every you year. You visit Colorado. I Colorado. visit Colorado. Yeah. But well, we're so you probably have had this experience too in the front range that not only do you drive however many hours across Kansas to get there, but you also spend a ton of time driving around the metro. And it's been my experience that a lot of people who live there don't really flinch at the idea of driving 40 plus minutes to get somewhere, which is crazy to me because, you know, I live in a place where the downtown core is not 20 minutes away from the, you know, quote unquote, far out suburbs. So the, just the sheer scale of how the Denver Metro, the Front Range Mega Metro is spread out is incredible to me. And they have an incredible culture of driving because that doesn't even account for driving into the mountains on the weekend and just the sheer amounts of people that are moving very long distances. So I did want to talk about land use because the way the article frames this, that they talk about adding more density to reduce carbon emissions, that that's an option for offsetting. I don't know if every place has that option, but I, and I appreciate that they they include this discussion on land use as at least as part of the conversation, but I think the lack of nuance on that could actually do more harm than good. Because if you pull up a map and you look at the context of the Colorado Front Range, which is where they're getting all their growth for the most part, put simply, there are two primary contexts. There is the continuous grid context, which is the remnants of traditional villages. And there is the land of corridors and subdivisions. And that's all of the outward expansion. So the land of corridors and subdivisions are structured around these huge arterial roadways that form super blocks. And inside those super blocks are winding, disconnected neighborhood streets that mostly support single family homes. So in this context, People are reliant on extensive driving because in most cases it is unfathomable to walk or bike outside of recreational purposes due to that development pattern. Simply adding density and more people into this context, I think would actually increase emissions and drivers because it increases the number of people in a driving dependent environment. And if a 
particular, you know, land of corridors and subdivisions does not have places of employment, you have all those new people that are going to be commuting 40 minutes to another part of the metro or to downtowns uh, to somewhere else. And those new people are going to be upset about congestion and they are going to reinforce the political pressure to simply expand highway lanes. So this density discussion, I think, is very important because I, I think if you if if you want people to take walking and biking trips or transit trips as a viable option for you know outside of recreation for fun- functional purposes, then you really need to focus on the continuous grid context. And I think focusing outside that context unless there's like a viable center of jobs that people can actually live locally, I think that's just such a lost cause and would actually increase emissions. So if that is the goal, you can't just put density and, you know, way out on the edge and expect people to not be driving everywhere. Right. That's a deep insight. It's a great insight. I feel like you've you've kind of circled back now for me to – this idea of what's the best way to accomplish the the goal. Because if we agree with this goal that we're trying to lower emissions, somehow we're trying to do this through the rubric of building more highways. And that just seems at its face nonsensical. If you're saying we want to reduce emissions, what we really should be saying is we want to reduce the amount people get in their car and drive around. You know, we want to reduce the number of vehicles on the road. And you won't do that in a process that builds highways. I mean, you you won't. I don't get the politics of this either, because it seems like this is being done as like a political way to kind of wedge a different set of things that aren't really spelled out that will then be argued over later in a political process. When if you look, Colorado, I'm sure, is like most other states where the vast majority of the population, if you survey them or poll them and say, what should our transportation policy be? They will say, fix it first. They will say, take the money that we have and put it towards fixing what we have and keeping it in good working order. And if you actually do that in Colorado, you will find that that covers you know 40%, 50% of what's been built. And so you go back to the population and so say, okay, we got about half of it done. Now, should we raise taxes to uh, fix the rest? Um, you will get some argument and some fight, but probably not full consensus to, you know, raise taxes that would need for everything. And so Colorado has to come to grips at some point with the fact that without building anything else, like zero new stuff, they can't maintain what they've already built. And they don't have the public will or the public support to do it. So why are we spending our time debating legislation on how to, you know, complicate and and overly politicize uh, the process of building more when we should just say we're not going to build anymore. Because once you say we're not going to build anymore, like no more highways, we're not going to build any more highways. We, We don't have the money to do it. We can't do it. We're done. Then you have to ask a different question that I think approaches this like density issue as they raise from a completely different paradigm. It's a paradigm of, okay, if we're not going to build more, what does our development model then look like? What does our development pattern then look like? If we have these congested roadways and we can't get people, you know, commuters from the far reaches of, of the Denver metro area into the core of the downtown every day in the volumes that we want, 
what do we do then? Now we have to create jobs out on the edge. Now we have to shorten commuting patterns. Now we have to build neighborhoods. Now we have to change something else. And actually, if you go down the list of things that you know, the climate uh, people want to accomplish, that's, that's exactly what it would look like. So I don't understand why, like I said, I don't get the politics. I'm not a politician. I'm not going to pretend that I get this. I do get how bureaucracies work. This is, the, this is perhaps the dumbest way to accomplish a goal that you could. But maybe it works, maybe, you know, it works within a bureaucracy or a system of trade-offs or the politics. It seems to me like if it was just a matter of public opinion, instead of doing it this way, you would just say, okay, we're done building highways. And here's why, because we can't afford it, because we built them all and we don't have the money and you don't want to pay more taxes and we agree. So we're done. Like, I, I don't know why that's not like the approach. I mean, what, what am I missing? The first thing I think of is like the highway building industrial complex, <laughs> you know, the, the highway building and corridors and subdivision building industrial complex of, of, you know, can we split those into uh, two though? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, let me, let me address them differently because I feel like there's one group of like the asphalt concrete people and then there's another group of like the home building, franchise, restaurant building, big box building people. For the first one, I would just say, look, in Colorado, uh, we're spending $20 billion a year, whatever it is, on transportation. And we're going to spend $20 billion a year plus inflation or whatever on transportation indefinitely. And all that money is going to go to you. And so whether you're fixing the bridge or building a new bridge, you're going to get the same amount of money. And in fact, you're probably going to do better if we actually maintain stuff than build new you know, you're not arguing for anything you're not going to get already. So go away. Like, just be happy with this. The other one is the more complicated one, right? The home builders that just want to pump out new subdivision after new, those super blocks, right? And I do think that that's, that's an issue and they'll bring a lot of political pressure. And, you know, yeah, I, I think that is a difficult one. And maybe that's the hinge point right there. Maybe it is. I mean, you know, I'm not a I'm not a politician, but it it's interesting to me that when you have a quote unquote industrial complex, whatever it is, it, what the outcomes are are not necessarily reflective of what I think the general public would agree to. Like you said, I think the general public would say, "Yeah, fix it first. I don't, you know, fix what we have built with the tax dollars that we give you." And unfortunately, there's this pressure coming from somewhere else, other interests that are, you know, I guess politicians are attempting to balance that, you know, say that there's this whole industry that's reliant on build, build, build. And, it, you know, how do you, at what point do you put your foot down and just say, we can't afford to do this? Because because the the home building industry, you know, just because just because we're not expanding and sprawling out and building the land of corridors and subdivisions, that doesn't mean that there's not a place for real estate to occur. That that doesn't mean that growth doesn't occur. That doesn't mean that homes don't get built. Um, it's just a it's a different model. You know, it's it's reusing land where existing infrastructure is and reinvesting in real estate that exists now or rebuilding that real estate. So 
you know, it's it's not as if real estate development wouldn't occur. It just would be infill and reuse. Well, let me let me throw a bone to the the politicians who think that this Colorado approach is a good approach. I do think that the difficulty in the you know the course that we've laid out here of just stopping building the highways and and using the the public consensus about fix it first to kind of drive that decision what follows that then is a series of conversations that there is no public consensus on and that would be about infill and how we thicken up neighborhoods and i think that same group of people who would say I don't want any more highways. I don't want any more frontage roads. I don't want any more construction. I want the stuff we've made to be fixed and in good shape. And if that, if we can't pay for that, then why are we building more? Is the same group of people who's going to say, I don't want my neighbor to have their single family home converted into duplex. I moved to Littleton or I moved to Aurora or I moved to whatever, you know, suburb of, of Denver so that I didn't have to live near duplexes and triplexes and apartments. And I don't want that stuff. So don't build none of that here. And I welcome that dialogue because I think that that is a dialogue we need to have in every community and every neighborhood. If you fear that dialogue, then pretending you can solve climate uh, issues or reduce emissions by this kind of backward regulatory top-down bureaucratic process that you know you can kind of be separated from is uh, is maybe more appealing. Well said. I think we can leave it there. Um, so before we end today, it is time for the down zone, which is the part of the show where we can share anything that we have been doing these days, anything we've been reading, listening to, watching. So uh, Chuck, what's been on your radar these days? So b- the book stuff has been uh, overwhelming. And uh, you know the book's been out, we're recording this uh, like 10 days ago. It'll come out, it's been out two weeks when this comes out. Um, it's obviously been very intense. Like it done a, a lot of interviews, a lot of conversations, starting to travel a lot more. So my reading has kind of shifted. And I when, when I find myself doing like really intense work stuff, I tend to switch over to fiction. And so I've been reading <laughs> John Grisham escape. books. Yeah. Like I, I actually, that's exactly what it is. Uh-huh. Um, so John Grisham, his very first book ever was called A Time to Kill. And it was not a real commercial success when it came out, but then people rediscovered it later and it was made into a movie and everything is very good. It's a really good book. And he's now written, his last two books have been kind of follow-up to that. So the guy's written like 800 books in between, but now he's gone back to these original characters and written a couple follow-up books, and they're actually quite charming. And I've gone through both of them, and now I'm reading a a fourth Grisham book in the last like two months. And uh, yeah, it's nice escape. His writing is easy. Uh, to read and it's kind of like friendly and and but still like well written. It's not, uh, you know, it's 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 good grammar. It's good diction. It's it's reads intelligently, but it's not hard to get through. You know, so it's kind of fun. That's how I feel about your book. I think. <laughs> well, thank <laughs> it's a good you. Segue. <laughs> thank yeah, you. Yeah, I'm I've I'm almost finished, so I'll you'll see my my write up when I'm just kidding. <laughs> my critique. Um, no, I, I'm in this mode right now where things are so busy that I looked at the calendar the other day and realized that it is mid-September and I have not been paying attention to like what month it is. 
So, um, yeah, I've been, I've just been busy at work, busy studying for my AICP exam. Oh yeah. (laughs) So getting the motivation for studying outside of work can be kind of challenging. Um, so those are not really, uh, fun things to share. I will say that I am gearing up to go back to Bentonville to go on a mountain biking trip. So really excited about that. I've become kind of a, an enthusiast of Bentonville. So yeah, rightly so. It's a great place. It's a great place. They have great trails. Oh, another fun thing is that I am in the process of confirming your trip to Kansas City. So hopefully we'll have you um, up to Kansas City to give a talk in a couple of weeks and um, you know, before you go over to, uh, to Columbia and St. Louis. Yeah. And, uh, and you and I are going to do our Abby and Chuck trip to the world war one museum, which yes. I've never been to. And I'm super psyched to go. Yes. We are going to go to the world war one museum and it's going to be awesome. It is going to be awesome. Yeah. It's I'm really totally... cool. I'm surprised you haven't been. So Ugh, I didn't know. I didn't know. I feel bad. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to, I think you have to get tickets for that. So I'll have to make sure we do that in advance. But okay. yeah, I'm really excited. Me too. Colorado. Colorado. <laughs> Somebody tell us I, what the right way to say that is. I'm anxious to hear from yeah, actual residents. And and then you're going <laughs> to get rid of one of my Minnesotisms. Um, that's fine. I want to ask some of my friends there, but they're not natives. So, you know, yeah. well, maybe that's... they've adopted the the way of saying it, that how they say I it there, I don't say, know. I think that's 80% of the state now, right? It's not, yeah, not that's natives. true. Yeah. Can somebody who's a native tell us? Uh-huh. It depends on how far back you want to go. I don't think the real original natives called it Colorado. So we'll yeah, see. that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. Well, thank you for joining me today. Always good to talk to you. Likewise. Um, thanks, Abby. Thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode of UpZoned. Keep doing what you can to build a strong town. Thanks, Chuck. Take care. Let me show you what I'm about to do. I'm about to get out. Hit the town tonight. Oh, I'm about to get down tonight. Hit the town tonight. Oh, I'm about to get down tonight.